1957, a social psychologist by the name of Leon Fessinger uncovered the theory of cognitive dissonance. And ever since then, it has been weaponized for both the betterment and the detriment of society by media, corporations, governments, and organizations seeking to impose their ideologies upon the world. Welcome to the Lucas Scrobot Show. I'm Lucas Scrobot, and this is where we uncover purpose, pursue truth, and own the future. Thank you for being with me today here on the show. We will be discussing a topic that I've been thinking a lot about. We actually touch on a lot here at the show, and I think it's very important for us to understand. If we are individuals who want to understand the world, we want to know our purpose, and we want then want to be able to shape the world around us. We want to have an impact on our family, on our personal lives, on our, our colleagues, the sphere of influence that we touch. We have to understand some of the basic principles of psychology and behavioral science that shape us and that is being used against us to shape us into oftentimes ideologies or patterns of behavior that are to our detriment. And of course, it is also being used to shape us for things that are bettering society. So I think this theory of cognitive dissonance is being used both for the better and for the worse. But what is cognitive dissonance? Well, as I said, cognitive dissonance was uncovered by Fessinger in 1957. And cognitive dissonance theory suggests that we all have this inner desire or a drive that we'd have an alignment between our beliefs, our attitudes, and our behaviors. And that when there is disharmony, we have dissonance and we work to find consistency, which would be cognitive consistency. So, there are oftentimes in our life where you and I experience a cognitive dissonance, a conflict between the things that we believe deep down and then the ways that we behave. And when that happens in our life, we seek to justify the gap. We seek to uncover, well, why did I do this? Why am I, why do I have this conflict? And we either, we do one of three things. We either change our belief system to match our behavior. We either seek out new information or some way to justify and change our attitudes around our behaviors or the bottom one, we actually stop and we change our behaviors. Now, we can't always control the outcome of what happens, but over the many century, uh, decades now, organizations, governments, uh, propaganda machines have been deployed through media to actively shape the way you and I think, to shape our attitudes and our beliefs in the hopes to create a dissonance to then change our behaviors, whether it's changing our bind behaviors, changing our social behaviors, changing the way that we relate to our family members, and so on. Because people have an agenda. Oftentimes, the agenda is to make the world a better place. And sometimes, that agenda is to make more money 
through selling products or advertisement. Case in point would be Google or Facebook or Instagram, the infinite scroll that keeps us going and going for dopamine hit after dopamine hit so that they can sell us more advertisement. But let's take a moment and look at cognitive dissonance and the the functional breakdown of how it works. The first time that this was discovered by Leon, he set up a very simple experiment where he brought in a group of subjects and they were told to turn a wooden knob on a piece of plywood for about 30 minutes. Very, very boring. At the end of the experiment, they paid one group $20 and the other group $1 to go out and lie to the next subject to tell them that this was a very fun and exciting experiment. Now, the experiment was not fun. It was treacherous. It was dull, tedious, and boring. But they lied anyways, both groups, for $1 or for $20. Afterwards, they went into the post-experiment interview with Leon himself. Leon would ask them, did you enjoy the experiment and would you do it again? Now, the group that was paid $20 was able to be honest with Leon and say, no way, I did not enjoy that. It was quite boring. I would not do it again. Whereas the group that was paid only $1 changed their belief and continued on lying to themselves really to Leon and saying, actually, it was quite fun. This was a fun experiment, and I would totally be glad to participate again. A distinct difference between the two groups. And Leon was a little surprised. He thought, well, normally, I would expect the opposite. I would expect the group that was paid $20 to update their beliefs and say, actually, I believe that this was fun. Actually, my attitude towards the behavior of turning knobs was a positive one because I got paid 20 bucks. But really what he found out was the $20 was enough incentive to lie. And that action of lying, the behavior of lying there, was what caused the dissonance. But the money was, they were then able to take that information of the $20 to justify why they would lie. But the group that was only paid $1 and believes that, well, lying is bad, I shouldn't lie, they had to update their attitude towards the task of turning the knobs so that they actually believed that it was fun. So they actually believed that they were telling the truth to the next subject coming in. Cognitive dissonance happens when there is a conflict between something that I believe and a behavior that I am exhibiting. Take one of the easiest examples, which is smoking. I believe that smoking is bad and will cause me to cut my life short through disease such as lung cancer. And yet there's an inconsistency. Let's say I'm smoking a couple cigarettes a day. All of a sudden, I have created a cognitive dissonance in my life. So there is now three ways that I can reduce 
my cognitive dissonance. And the way that I reduce my cognitive dissonance is one, to change or modify one of my beliefs. For instance, well, so I believe smoking is bad, but now I'll just update it a little bit and I'll say, well, smoking is only bad if I'm smoking a pack a day, but I'm only smoking a few cigarettes a day and it's not even every day, so I'm okay and therefore I end up with a decreased cognitive dissonance. The second one would be to add and acquire new information. And so I go and I do some digging and I do some research and I find out, well, actually smoking one cigarette or two cigarettes a day isn't that bad for you. It's really when you're getting to one, two, three packs a day that I become a chain smoker and then that is going to really cause cancer. So I'm okay because I've reduced my dissonance. I required new information to justify my behavior and again, kind of update my belief. The third option would be to reduce the dissonant cognitions through adding an additional cognition into the mix, adopting an additional belief. And that might be, well, I do smoke, but it is offset by the fact that I work out three times a week and I eat fairly healthy. So because I have these other beliefs too, because I'm like, well, I'm actually kind of okay. I'm working out, I'm eating healthy food, and therefore my behavior that conflicts with my belief is now justified and I have decreased my dissonance. So within this framework, we can see how culture, how behaviors, how societies can be shaped. They can be shaped through one, causing people, triggering people to create a specific action. And that specific action will then lead to dissonance within their worldview. And that dissonance within their worldview will cause them to update their view of the world. Two, what they can do is through media, begin to form and reshape their beliefs and their attitudes towards specific things. So again, with the example of smoking, in the 90s in the West, there are huge campaigns, media campaigns, this is where it's been used for the good, huge campaigns to sway people in their perception and the information that's out there regarding smoking. So before, smoking was a cool thing that people would do in all the films, and then they flipped that narrative to change people's attitudes towards and perception towards smoking, so that becomes one of a negative perception. The other thing they did was they threw information, through putting out studies and findings and, and talking about it publicly, they made it and brought the awareness to change the belief from smoking is okay to actually smoking will kill you. That is one clear example of how media organizations, governments put together wide-scale campaigns to affect behavior downstream through affecting people's beliefs and attitudes towards a specific behavior, but that is often one of the hardest and longest ways to change the behavior within individuals or society. Here's why. As we mentioned, there are these three aspects, beliefs, 
attitudes and behaviors. Now, beliefs are underlying. They're deep-seated in our worldview. They're deep-seated in our, our experience, and they are very hard to touch, shape, and measure. It takes an incredible amount of time, and it takes an incredible amount of life-on-life energy to change people's mindsets and worldview. The second point is attitudes. And again, this is difficult to change as it's strongly tied to our beliefs. It's strongly tied to our past experiences. It's it's strongly tied to the world around us where we're picking up these attitudes based on how people are reacting to us, based on the way that we're being perceived, based on the way we feel about something in a moment. And again, that's very hard to change. It takes a long time to change. But if you and I want to see change in our personal lives, let's just start with ourselves. Let's not worry about someone else out there. Let's say we want to update our personal lives. The easiest way to start in using this cognitive dissonance theory on ourselves is by changing our behaviors before we believe and before our attitudes follow. Because our behaviors are tangible and measurable and observable. That is the place that we can instantly access. So if you're working on yourself, changing a behavior that you don't feel like changing, you may not believe in changing, you might be very doubtful if this will help your problem, but it will begin to disrupt those beliefs and those attitudes, and you'll be able to then go on a process of looking for new cognitions, new information to change those beliefs so that you're having a better world. If you are working in an organization where you're looking to upgrade your team's uh, mindsets and, and worldview and vision, it's very hard to start up top with beliefs and attitudes, but if you start and act on updating people's behaviors before they know why, before they believe it, and you work on those behavioral, very measurable actions, that will, again, trigger that cognitive dissonance between the things that they believe and the things that they're actually experiencing in the world around them. And I actually write about this in my book, Anchor the Discipline to Stop Drifting, on do first. And so often we are taught that we need to know something, and then it needs to become a a heart value, and then once it becomes a heart value, we'll automatically do it. If If we know better, we'll do better, as they say. But really, I believe it's often the opposite way, and I write about this, where it's as we do differently as we do better, that then sets off this cycle of believing and feeling like, oh, that really felt good, which kind of conflicts with the things that I believe. And that can be as simple as keeping a tidy room to cleaning your dishes, to picking up stuff off the floor. As you can tell, <laughs> these are all organizational things. I'm, I'm an organizational challenged person when it comes to spatial things. And that is something that I have been actively working on. And I feel better. I feel better about myself when I'm picking things up and putting them away. Whereas before I had a belief that, well, it's not worth my time. I had this belief it's not worth my time. I have other things I need to focus on and I'm not going to waste my time trying to organize this because it's just going to get into a mess later. Whereas 
when I now start to organize things, I feel better and I notice that actually I'm more efficient. So it's updating my belief within further reinforces my actions. So the way that this is being used in society through media and platforms like Facebook and Instagram is they're using all three of these. Platforms like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, they are programming you through behavior of scroll, 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 dopamine hits, and then you are going through and justifying, well, the reason I'm scrolling for five hours a day on Instagram is because, well, I'm networking, I'm I'm connecting with friends and family. I'm figuring out what's going on in the world. And we tell these stories to ourselves of why we're behaving in a certain way to justify the fact that we might be wasting hours in front of a screen that's not producing anything that's fruitful in our lives and definitely not causing us to reach our goals because we're just consuming information and we're not working on the things that probably truly matter to you and I. It's also being used in more nefarious ways to shape the way that we view morality, that we view culture, that we view what's right and wrong because it's the slow drip of of changing our attitudes and our beliefs through cognitive dissonance. Don't go away. We will be right back with a closing segment and quote from Weaver and Loom. Welcome back to Weaver and Loom, the part of the show where we take a normally ancient quote and we weave it in with our everyday lives. Today's quote is not so ancient, but it is by the one and only Jordan Peterson, who writes, we don't understand the world. I do think the world is more like a musical masterpiece than is like anything else, and things are oddly connected. I love this, because I agree with Jordan that, by and large, we don't understand how the world connects and works together, and it really is like a musical masterpiece, where everything is connected to one another and everything affects one another. We have talked previously here on the show about the different areas of society, the different spheres of society and how they overlap with one another. I like to think of them like layers in Photoshop. If you're a designer, you know what the different layers in Photoshop are and how they affect one another. If you're not, think of it like on Instagram where you take a photo and you slide through and you're putting different filters over that image. Well, society is like culture as a whole, is like that image. Each pixel or each section of the photo can represent maybe a portion of society. And then each pixel, as you go all the way down, each pixel is an individual. And as we put different filters over our picture and we layer them on top of one another, we begin to change and shape the image that we're looking at. We begin to change and shape society. Now, there are different filters or spheres of society that overlap and interplay with one another, like government, economics, family, media, arts and entertainment, or the tech and education system. Now, 
each one is not independent, but they're all interdependent. And they all affect one another. They all change the way that the macro picture of culture works and operates as a whole. They affect each individual underneath it to varying degrees. So, for instance, take government and economics. Well, which affects which? Does the government affect the economics or does economics affect government? And the answer is clearly, well, it's both and. That a government can set up free trade agreements, can set up laws and incentives, which will greatly affect the outcome, the economic outcome of a country. But likewise, the, the economics of a country and the decisions that individuals are making or the decisions that big business is making, the developments that are happening among natural resources and raw material in a country is going to go back upstream to government and shape and affect the policies that government are making. And those, in turn, are going to come and affect family. They will impact the tech industry because they're going to be responding, the, the technology that's being developed. It's going to affect education and the things that we need to teach. And that, likewise, will come right back around and affect the other spheres of society. So it is all connected. And that's why we talk on this show so much of truth and knowing what truth is, understanding the world, understanding the different spheres of society, their roles, and how they are influencing and changing the world around us. Now, years ago, and still in many parts of the world, society was largely shaped by the religious sphere and the governmental sphere. These were the, the two main spheres that shaped all of culture, that shaped all of thought, that really that pushed society forward. But that is beginning to change in the, the age that we live in. Now, it is media. It is entertainment that is shaping culture, and that culture is then seeping into government policies, that culture is shaping into educational policies, that culture is now shaping into or seeping into family dynamics. Things are changing across the globe, and maybe you live in a place in the world where religion and government is still forming and shaping most of culture and culture is downstream from religion and culture is downstream from politics. But with globalization and with this idea that we have been talking about of cognitive dissonance and the tools that are being deployed across the globe through mass media, through digital platforms, that narrative is slowly changing all across the globe where little by little, cultures and society are changing to meet the narrative and the prerogative of those people who are shaping the algorithms, shaping the content that you find. Because if they can control the content that you 
see when you search for an answer, when you're looking for new research, looking for new cognitions while you're in that cognitive dissonance, they can control the things that you end up believing and the ways that you end up behaving. So what is the solution? What is the solution for you and I, who maybe run small organizations, who maybe don't have the power of Google or Facebook or Twitter? The way that we can be effective in our purpose is by not worrying so much about all the layers of society above us all and fighting against all these invisible systems. If you were a photographer and you took an image and you're, you're working really hard in post-production to get the lighting just right, to get the filters just right, to tweak each pixel, and the, the photo is just not quite coming out the way that you want. The issue is not the invisible systems, the layers and the filters and your editing capabilities to make that picture look perfect. The issue is you need to go back to the source. And the quality of a photograph is only as good as the quality of the moment that you took that photograph in. So instead of worrying about the layers and the systems and these invisible things that we're all, it's very popular to fight against. Instead, we have to look back to the origin, look back to the snapshot, the, the capturing of the image, which in my mind is the individuals, you and I and those people that we are able to touch. And if we can win those battles, if we can help those people, if we can serve those people across whatever area of service or product that we offer them, whether it's as a mother to a child or a father to, to uh, their sons, whether it's in, in business, in providing an incredible burger experience to your customers and giving a, a, a job and employment, which is economical impact to your employees, it is on that small level where we forget about all these systems and we focus on touching and standing up the ones and twos pixels around us and organizing those pixels in a way that is beautiful, that is good, that is helpful across the spheres of society. That's how you and I can do that. That's how you and I can make the world a better place. And it starts by inspiring action. It starts by developing transformational systems of action where it's action first. And then we come back and we understand and we seek to update our beliefs and our operating systems so that we can actually reach our goals. Because so many of us, so many of us are stuck in, in, in goals that are unfulfilled and patterns that are, are paralyzing us and we can't break free. But you could be an individual that helps yourself and helps others break three, free from their paralysis, from their the lies that they tell themselves so that they can own their futures and weave their destinies. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you have a question about this episode, this topic, 
or any other topic that we've discussed here on the show, please WhatsApp me at plus one two zero two nine two two zero two two zero. And most importantly, please tell your friends. Tell your friends, WhatsApp them, DM them. Guess what? I personally, I love when someone sends me a podcast or a video. It makes me feel loved. It will make your friends feel loved and it will make me feel loved. So until next time, go out and seek the truth so that you can own your future.